Man, Brian had me all fired up there. I was ready to get going. Skip that video there and let's get going on with it, right? I'll tell you, it is exciting to be at a place where you know that God is at work and God is moving. Uh, and just hearing testimony of individuals' lives and what's happening and what God is doing here at Three Trails is pretty amazing. And Case and I are so glad to be a part of this church family. So, And then this afternoon, you're going to get to see how much we can actually eat when it comes to soup and stuff like that. Well, this morning, we're all in on serving the Lord. That's what the, the message is this morning, all in on serving the Lord. And many of you are probably, even though your chiefs are not in the Super Bowl, you're going to watch the Super Bowl this afternoon. And I just want you to imagine this scenario. Imagine for just a moment that during the Super Bowl, somewhere in the middle of the Super Bowl, the Rams' offense is supposed to be taking the field. The offensive linemen go out there, the receivers go out there, the running back goes out there, but Matthew Stafford does not. And everybody's looking for Matthew Stafford, the quarterback for the Rams. And finally, they see him over there sitting on the bench. And the coach walks over and says, Matthew, it's offense. You're supposed to be out there. And Matthew looks at the coach and says, Coach, it's been a long season, dog. I just don't know if I've got it. I'm tired. I'm worn out. Imagine, the, and, and you know the coach is going to be like, Matthew, you got to be all in on this. Matthew's like, nah, man, it's, it's cozy over here on the bench. I don't have those defensive linemen chasing me. There's not those guys. It's nice over here. This is the Super Bowl. I can sit back and watch everybody else play. I can be one of the fans in the stands. Why should I go up there? Matthew, you have to be all in. Man, the Gatorade is so good over here. You got to try it, coach. There's no doubt in any of our minds that we would say Matthew Stafford was not all in, right? Now, I guarantee you he will be in there every play. He will play if he's injured. He'll be playing if he's hurt. He's going to be in there because why? Matthew Stafford is all in. The coach isn't going to have to walk over in there and say, Matthew, get off the bench and come in the game and start playing. Now, in Exodus chapter 3, we're going to find Moses. And in Exodus chapter 3, keep in mind, Moses has been in the desert for almost 40 years. He killed a Hebrew slave, I'm sorry, an Egyptian. He killed an Egyptian. He leaves there. He's on the run. He's in the desert for 40 years. So it's almost like Moses has been on the bench for 40 years, and then something amazing is going to happen to him. The coach is going to come to him and say, Moses, it's time to get in the game. Watch what happens in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, Moses, do you guys have that on the screen, or is that going to be, you're going to have to do the old-fashioned style, look in your Bible, or you're going to have to pull that out. Oh, there it is right there. Just kidding. You're getting, you can go no school with it. Exodus chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Uh, now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. 
And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their taskmaster, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." Here's Moses in the desert. He's been there for 40 years. And then just one day, God comes and speaks to Moses. It says, Moses, this is my plan. I'm going to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, where they've been slaves, and I'm going to put them in the land that's flowing with milk and honey to the promised land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and, And it's going to be a great journey there, Moses. And Moses, it's time for you to get off the bench. You're the one that I'm calling. I need you all in, Moses, because you're the one that's going to lead these children of Israel out of Egypt to this promised land that I have for you. Now, listen, God is probably not going to call you to deliver the children of Egypt, our children of Israel, out of Egypt. That's probably not going to be his call for you this morning. It's probably not going to happen. But the scripture is clear every member is a minister. Every follower of Jesus has a task, a mission, something that God is calling them to do. How do we know that? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, before you were born, believer, God had a plan for your life. And it was a plan for good works. There is something that God wants to do in your life. There is something that God wants to do in you so that he can work through you. Understand, believers are not called to sit on the bench, or in this case, the pew. We are called to serve and to minister. You were created for good works. There is something that God wants you to do. God wants you to be active. God wants you to be a part of what he is doing in the world around you. Sometimes that call is very specific. God comes, he speaks to you. It may not be in a burning bush. It probably is through a Bible study. It might be somebody else speaking to you. And God calls you to work with children. God may call you to work in the praise band. God may call you to be on the greeting team. God may call you to start a van ministry. God may call you to start a ministry that nobody has ever thought of, but God wants to use you and your giftedness and your heartache and your breaks in life to minister to the community of independence. God can do that. He can call you off the bench to do with you whatever he wants. And he prepared beforehand, before you were ever born, for you to be a part of that ministry. Those are going to be things that God may be calling you to. He may call you to something even more specific, like that coworker that's lost and going to hell. He's speaking to you about the being the one to share the gospel with them. For you to be the one that ministers to the next door neighbor that lives right next to you, that's families dealing with COVID, God may call you and say, I need you to fix a meal for that lost neighbor so that you can spread my love to somebody else. He may call you to work at Baptist Homes of Independence. Have to get that plug in there. Baptist Home of Independence to start ministering in that facility for the glory of Christ. How are we going to respond when God calls? 
when you have your burning bush moment and God comes to you and says, get off the bench. And my prayer this morning is this today is a burning bush moment for some where God says, this is time. You've sat long enough. It's time for you to get in the game. And God would speak clearly to you about where you need to get involved. Now, what's interesting is when God calls Moses to get off the bench, Moses struggles. And as we look at Moses' struggle, I think there are going to be struggles that you and I can identify with. And it may be the very thing that God has spoken to you and it has been very clear. God's been saying, I need you to get off the bench. I have something for you to do. And you may struggle with the very things that Moses struggles with in this upcoming passage. Before we look at those, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. And God, I just pray that you would move in our hearts. God, my prayer this morning would be this, that this would be a burning bush moment for many. God, we've sat and listened to preachers. We've sang the same songs. And it may be that we've not got in the game and started serving you like you've called us to. Father, I pray that today would be a day of fresh vision where somebody would just walk out of here saying, God, you planted a seed in my heart long ago, and now it's time to water that thing and let it grow so, God, you can be honored and glorified in those ministries that you're calling me to. God, that you would take where some people look at their lives and they see heartache and they see broken down and they see ashes. God, that they would begin to see something new in their life where you want to take them through that, God, and you want to make beauty from ashes. And God, you want to use their life to honor and glorify you. God, I pray that somebody today would catch a vision of that, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Moses has been called off the bench. Now watch how Moses struggles. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You ever struggle with who am I? Maybe as God calling you into a ministry, maybe as you think about the ministry that God has even given you right now, maybe there are times where you have these moments of doubt where you begin to say, God, who am, who, who am I? As we look at Moses, maybe Moses has those feelings of inadequacy that are going through. Maybe Moses begins to think, I'm 80 years old. My back hurts. My feet hurt. I'm tired. Who am I to lead people out of desert? I'm way too old for God to use. Or maybe he begins to think about the fact that I killed a slave once. I'm a murderer. Surely God couldn't use a murderer. God, surely you wouldn't call me to go back to the place where I killed somebody and lead your children out. Or maybe he begins to think, God, I'm not into leading people anymore. I'm a shepherd. I lead sheep. I've got it easy. I've got it peaceful here. I, I, I lead these sheep. Who am I that you would use me to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Isn't that like us? When God begins to call us into certain ministries and certain places of ministry and areas of service, don't we kind of step back and say, wait a minute, God. Who am I? God, you, you know my past. 
God, you know I'm too old. Or God, you know that I'm too young. God, you know I'm just a factory worker. God, you know I'm just a school teacher. God, you know I'm a nobody. Who am I that you could use me? God, you, you could never use me. So Moses says, God, who am I? And you may be here this morning saying, God, who am I that you would show up in a burning bush moment in my life and call me to do something for you? And listen to how God responds to Moses. When Moses says, who am I? Listen to how God responds to him. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you. Get the picture here. Moses asked the question, who am I? And God responds with, I will certainly be with you. You know what the conclusion of the matter is? The conclusion of the matter is this. Moses, who you are doesn't matter. I'm with you. In other words, Moses, who you are doesn't matter. If I'm with you, that's all that matters. You don't need to wrestle with all those other questions that you have brought to the table. It's not even a question of who you are, but whose you are, and I am with you. You see, the who we are doesn't matter near as much as whose we are, who is with us. Understand, for the one that has recognized that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, rose again, and you trusted in him and believed in him as the Savior and Lord of your life, before that you were a slave of righteousness, you are an enemy of God, you deserve the wrath of God, but when you come to the point where you understand that Jesus died for your sin, rose again, and that he is working and lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you, now you are an instrument of righteousness, you are to be salt and light to a lost and dying world and as salt and light to a dying world. You are the salt and light because the living God now lives inside of you through his spirit and he equips you. So who you are doesn't matter near as much as whose you are. It's amazing as you go through the scripture when God calls children to his task, he lets them know I'll be there. He told Abraham, do not be afraid, I am with you. He told Joshua, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. He specifically told the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Haggai, I am with you. And he assures us today in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. You see, God is not going to call you to a place of service and then desert you there. His spirit resides in you. And here's the thing about his spirit. You don't have to work harder. You don't have to try harder. His spirit is what works in you and through you to produce the fruit in your life. So who you are doesn't matter near as much as who is with you. You can do the ministry that he calls you to do because he is equipping you. He is using you. Remember what John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So with him, we can do what? all things. He empowers us and strengthens us. God's not going to leave you, lead you into a place of service and desert you there. Maybe you're here this morning, you struggle with that thing of who am I? When you begin to wrestle and Satan tries to remind you and your enemy starts speaking in your ear, the who you are doesn't matter near as much as the one who is with you. And if he calls you, he will equip you for the ministry. So you think, oh, Moses is ready to get in the game, right? I mean, here he is. God's called him into leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses says, who am I? God says, it doesn't matter. I am with you. You think Moses would be like, oh, okay, I'm ready to get in the game. But he's not. There's something else he struggles with. What's the second thing he struggles with? 
Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Are you struggling with the suppose? Are you struggling with the suppose? Moses got bit with what I call the suppose bug. You ever get bit by the suppose bug? Suppose they don't listen to me. Suppose they say you didn't really call me. Suppose they reject me. Suppose, suppose. In the moment that God calls us into a ministry or God calls us to do something, it's amazing how the enemy will bite us with the suppose bug. And here's the interesting thing about the suppose bug. In my years of ministry, very few people have ever supposed, been bitten by the supposed bug and thought in the positive. Why is it every time that we are bitten by the supposed bug, it's always in the negative? Because the liar is the one who's behind the supposed bug. You ever realize that? Nobody ever supposes in the positive. Everybody always supposes in the negative. What if they reject me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say it didn't really happen? Nobody ever comes and says, suppose, God, that you are doing this, and it's going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt into Israel, and they're going to experience the land flowing with milk and honey. You see, we get bit by that suppose bug, and we start thinking of all the things that could go wrong in our life. Why do we get bit with the suppose bug? Because the suppose bug will always make us fearful. The moment that we get bit by that suppose bug, and we start thinking in the negative, all of a sudden we become fearful. And when we become fearful, a lot of times we are paralyzed. There was a time when Case and I were first married. It was right after our honeymoon. We get back. We live in a parsonage in Dadeville, Missouri. And we're in that house, and I'm now the man of the house. I realize that. I'm laying in bed with her, and I feel this little tap on my chest. There's somebody in the house. Do what? There's somebody in the house. And so I listen a little bit louder. You know, I'm starting to listen. And I, I realize somebody's messing with aluminum foil. I don't know if they're making a sandwich in our kitchen or what, but I know that's the direction. And there's a part of me that just wants to like fall over on the other side of the bed, lay down and just make sure they, I mean, I'm the man of the house now. So I've got a man up at this point. Like this is my opportunity to show her I'm her protector. I'm her man. I've got this. So I get up out of the bed and I begin to walk out of the bedroom and I'm scared and I'm kind of tiptoeing through there and I'm kind of hearing the noise and I'll stop for a moment. And then I start walking again when I don't hear it. I get halfway through the living room and as I'm halfway through the living room, I hear the sound of aluminum foil again. And I just freeze. I can't move. I can't go forward. I can't go backwards. I can't figure out where the sound's coming from. I can't even scream like a girl at this time. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I am frozen and cannot move. And then I realize the noise is coming from behind me. So there in the moment, I'm thinking, just go ahead and kill me, get it over with, finish me. Okay. And I begin to look around. And I begin to look around. Then I remembered. Earlier that day, Dadeville doesn't have cable. And so I tried the old trick of the antenna. 
where you take the antenna and you make the little aluminum foil ear things. Well, the fan was blowing, and as the fan was blowing, it was moving that aluminum foil, and there was not a burglar in my house trying to steal the sandwiches. (laughs) But this is what I did learn from that experience. Sometimes when we're fearful, we can't move. How many church members does God have an awesome plan for you to be ministering to somebody that nobody else can reach but you because God has called you to reach them? And you're sitting in the pew and you're frozen. You can't move because you're fearful. And as you sit there, ministry is passing you by. When God wants to use you to reach people that other people just aren't going to have the opportunity to reach. And the Satan knows, I've bitten them with the supposed bug. I've got this one frozen. I don't have to worry about them. Understand, you're missing out on blessing in your life. And notice what God does with Moses. When Moses gets bit with the supposed bug, God brings Moses back to school. Look back at Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. Exodus 4, verse 2. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. One positive, uh, one positive thing from Moses in this chapter, that was smart, right? You have a serpent on the ground to run from it. I get that. I understand that. He runs from it. Verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine God saying, take that rod that's in your hand, Moses, throw it down, and Moses throws it down. It's a serpent. He doesn't, fear, he doesn't, he doesn't freeze, right? It tells us, he, he steps back. He's like, oh, that's a snake. I, I don't want any part of that. And then God says, Moses, pick that thing back up. And Moses is obedient. He goes back, he picks it up. And it turns back into a rod. But God's not yet teaching him. Because look what happens in verse 5. Then the, or verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached it out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put it in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put in your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be if they do not believe you nor hear the message of the first sign that they may believe the message of the latter sign. Get this. So now God says, Moses, we did the whole serpent thing. Now I want you to do something else. Take your hand, put it in your bosom. Puts it in his tunic. He brings it out. He's got leprosy. This is bad. He's separated. He knows what that means. God says, put it back in. He puts it back in. Take it out. And it's restored again. He's getting to experience these small miracles of God in his life. Verse 9, and it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. You realize what God did for Moses there? Let's go back to school, Moses. 
God realizes the task of leading the children of Israel out of Egypt is going to be overwhelming for Moses. So God takes him back to class and says, Moses, when you are obedient to me, you're going to be able to experience amazing and awesome things. Moses, I am with you. Moses, I will take care of all the supposes. I am mighty. I am powerful. I can do whatever I desire to do. Moses, throw down the rod. It becomes a snake. Pick the snake up. It becomes a rod. Put your hand in your bosom, it becomes leprous. Puts it back in there, it becomes healed. And then he says, you know what, if they still don't believe me, we'll just turn all the water into blood. Then they'll believe me. And what's he doing? Moses, you want to experience my power? You want to experience what I can do? Be obedient to what I call you to do. Don't give me the supposes. Notice notice that in these small things, what we might consider small things of throwing down a rod and putting your hand in your bosom, notice that Moses didn't say, well, suppose my rod breaks or suppose the snake bites me or suppose I never get healed again. He doesn't do the supposes. So what God is doing is he's taking him back saying, Moses, if you want to experience all that I have for your life, let me tell you how I want to lead you. You're never going to experience the awesome things I have for your life if you don't stop asking the supposed questions. And here's the thing in your life. You will never experience everything that God has in your life if you keep asking the supposed questions. Some of you are spiritually stuck and you don't know why. The reason you are spiritually stuck is because God is calling you to a life of excitement. He's calling you to a life of serving him. He's calling you to get out of your comfort zone. He's calling you to do things that you've never done before. And spiritually, you're not moving because you're stuck in fear and you're stuck in the land of suppose. You're not going to experience all God can do, all his wonders, how he's working, until you begin to walk in obedience to what he has called you to do. And it's exciting. I have yet to meet any believer that has said, I regret following God's will for my life. I've met many a people who have said, I regret not following God's plan for my life. A lot of people who have said, I wonder what God would have done in and through my life. Y'all should be jealous of me because there are times I get to spend times with believers that have been believers for like 40 and 50 and 60 years at the Baptist home. And I get to just pick nuggets from them. And it's amazing how many of them will tell me of the stories of how God has used them as Sunday school teachers, leading worship, doing all these different things. And every once in a while, there'll be one that says, I wish I had done more. I wish I had followed through with what God was calling me to do. Don't live your life with regret. Allow God to have 100% of you. Be all in with what God wants to do in your life and experience all the amazing things that he wants to do and awesome things. So surely Moses is ready to get off the bench, right? At this point, wow, he has just seen his rod become a snake and back into being a rod again. Surely he's ready to be in the bench. He has just watched his hand become leprous, take his hand out and become healed again. Surely he's ready to be off the bench. Surely he's like, okay, man, let's do this, God. Let's get him out of there. But there's something else that he struggles with. And it may be the same struggles that you and I have. Are you struggling with excuses? Look at Exodus 4, verse 10. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, then Moses said to the Lord, 
O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to me, your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you will, that you may send. Verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. So after having the nerve of asking the question, who am I? Moses wants to share with God why he is inadequate to lead the children out of Egypt. I'm slow of speech. And maybe that was legitimate. Maybe Moses stuttered. Maybe Moses didn't communicate well getting the words out of his mouth. But he begins to make excuses to God why he cannot be the one that leads the children out of Israel. God kind of cut off his excuses quick, didn't he? Moses, I'm the one who made man's mouth. I make the mute, the deaf. I can make them to speak. Moses, I can teach you what to say. Moses, I can be your strength where you are weak. I can take the things that you want to use as excuses, and I can be honored and glorified in those things. Isn't it something that we can tell the God of the universe what we are capable and incapable of doing? Is this not one of the highest regards of arrogance? God of the universe... Creator of everything that I see, creator of everything that I've ever done, the one that created my mouth, God, I can look at you and tell you, you don't know what you're doing by having me do this ministry. That's arrogant. To say, God, you don't know what you're doing? God, you're making a mistake? If God calls us to it, he knows that we're capable of, of doing those things. Who are we to make excuses to God? To tell God what we can and cannot do. It's been said there's only one good excuse. Only one good excuse. And that is no excuse. The only excuse you can ever use is no excuse. I had a high school basketball coach. I think that was his favorite quote. The only good excuse is no excuse. And aren't there times where verse 13, we're like Moses. Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Isn't it funny how sometimes when God begins to speak to us about certain areas of ministry, and let me share with you, sometimes the vision of figuring out where God is calling you is where you begin to recognize a need. Where you begin to step back and you say, man, somebody really needs to reach those people. Somebody really needs to minister to the children. Somebody really needs to do this. Many times that's the beginning process of God showing you, I'm calling you to this. But how many times have we seen those things that God is calling us to and step back and thought, well, you know who'd be really good at that is Pastor Brian. I know who God's, you know what? God sinned by, God, I know that you're speaking to me about this. I know that I have a neighbor that's lost and doesn't know anything about the Bible. 
God, I think it'd be a really good idea if you sent Brian or Chris over there. Now we got this buddy guy at church. God, you can send him. I don't know anything about him, but you can send him. And the reality is God is calling you to do that. Now God does speak to him and let him know that he will use Moses or Aaron, verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, it's not Aaron the Levite, your brother. I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. So God says, I'll do with, let me translate that for you. I'll do with Aaron what I want to do with Aaron, and I'll do with you, Moses, what I want to do with you. I know that Aaron can speak well. He's going to be the priest. And it's interesting, as you watch when those roles get messed up, remember when Aaron's left in charge at one time, what does he do? Makes a golden calf. So isn't it interesting as we look and God says, I know what Aaron can do, but Moses, you're the one I'm calling to do this thing. Let me ask you this morning, are you willing to set aside all the excuses? Are you willing to set those aside and begin to say, God, I'm available to do with whatever you want to do? in my life? Are you willing to yield yourself and say, God, I'm no longer going to ask, who am I? God, I'm no longer going to allow the supposed bug to leave me sitting in fear. God, I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to serve you with my whole heart. You know, a lot of times we sing the song, I surrender all. And we sing that with our mouths, but do we really sing that with our heart? Because understand, saying to God, God, I surrender all is saying, God, whatever you call me to do, I'm going to do it. God, my life is a blank canvas for you to do whatever you want to do in my life. And when you call me to fill that canvas, God, I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to ask who I am. I'm not going to play the suppose game. But God, I am going to yield completely to whatever it is you're doing in my life. I truly surrender all to you. Because this morning, it may be that God is speaking to you. And for some of you, it may be that God is calling you for the first time into a relationship with him. Understand, God's not going to call you into the game until you have a personal relationship with him. And the way you have a personal relationship with him is by trusting in Jesus that he died and was buried and rose again for your sins. You were created to serve. You were created to have a relationship with the God who designed you. But sin messed that up. And God said he didn't want that sin to completely mess that up. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And through Jesus, we have a relationship with the God who created us. So God's not going to call you to get in the game until you know the coach, all right? And so for some of you this morning, that's what God's doing. He's speaking to you saying, I want you in the game, but first you have to have a relationship with me. And I made every way possible through my son, Jesus, for you to have a relationship with me. For others this morning, and that's going to mean a total surrender because that's Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. He gets to call the plays in your life now. And for some of you, that's where you need to surrender and allow him to have your entire life and trust in him. For others, God is going to begin to speak to you about an area of service or an area of ministry. It may be a ministry that is already existing in the life of three trails, and God's going to say, it's time for you to step up and come to that place. And it may be that God calls you to a brand new, fresh ministry in the life of three trails. And God's going to speak to you and say, you're the one I want to minister to this group. This is how we're going to do this. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to use your weaknesses, and I'm going to equip you. 
So you say, I surrender all to him. God, everything that I have, I give it to you. And this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I always like to say, invitation is inviting you to respond to what God's doing in your life. I don't know what God's doing in your life. God calls me to prepare. He calls me to preach. And then the results are to him. So this morning, the invitation is inviting you to respond to whatever God is doing in your life. And during this time of invitation, we're going to be singing the song, The Altar. And the one thing that God calls us to do is to lay our life at the altar. And when you come to an altar, it's giving everything you are to God, saying, God, here I am on this altar for you to do what you desire in my life. I'm going to ask you to stand as we come to a time of prayer, giving this invitation to the Lord. You respond as God is speaking to you today. Father, we do come to you this morning. Father, I pray that you just speak to us. God, that you would encourage us to be all in in what you want to do with our life. And Father, as we sing the song about coming to the altar, I pray, God, that we are reminded of what Romans tells us, that we are a living sacrifice. That's our reasonable act of worship, is to be a living sacrifice for you to do whatever you want and desire in our lives, Lord. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.